First Peter chapter three and verse seven. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You may be seated. First Peter chapter one. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are right now in the middle of a sermon series called A Living Hope a series based on 1 Peter. But the series actually came about because of a series that we did back in August about your five. Your five are people that you love, friends, family members, who are not Christians. A Living Hope is a sermon series that is very practical, especially for your five. Remember the five steps that we are following to try to impact people that we love dearly because we don't want them to spend eternity in hell. So we're turning to 1 Peter to uh, kind of give us a, uh, a clue on what to do. Now, so far in this sermon series, every lesson has been anywhere from 6 to up to 13 verses. But tonight is different. Because we're going to do a one-verse wonder. Now, one-verse wonders normally happen just on Wednesday evening. You know, have one verse, packs a punch. Well, verse 7 of chapter 3 punk really packs a wallop of a punch. And it's primarily directed to husbands. And you're going to ask, well, how does that impact my five? Well, if you're married, if your marriage is not what God intended, do you really think you're going to influence your five to become a Christian? Probably not. They're going to look at you. They're going to look at the, the mess you've made of your marriage. And they're going to say, well, I don't want any of that. You know, I'm not interested in that. So first off, if you're married, you need to set the right example for your five. But even beyond that, those of us who are singles, those of us who are widows, uh, uh, school age, uh, young people, every one of us can learn from the principles that we're going to look at tonight. So primary audience is husbands. Secondary audience tonight is everybody in the sound of my voice. Before we get into the lesson i got to talk about Mrs. Foster. Mrs. Foster was a first grade school teacher. And she had a little boy that, um, Jimmy was his name, that he was just always talking. I mean, he just, they could not get him to stay quiet. 
finally near the end of the day, she said, um, Jimmy, Jimmy said, uh, yes, Mrs. Foster, um, you have been pushing it. I've got a pet peeve and you're violating my pet peeve. Do you know what a pet peeve is? Jimmy said, Mrs. Foster, I have no idea what that word means. What is a pet peeve? Mrs. Foster said, well, it's something that you do that really is the thing that really irritates you the most. Do you know what my pet peeve is, Jimmy? Jimmy, he started thinking and he couldn't think. He said, well, I would guess it's probably Mr. Foster. Well, that might be true, but guess what, folks? We laugh at that, but sad to say, a husband can often be his wife's greatest irritation. It happens in many marriages across our land and in many other relationships. People sometimes irritate each other, but that's where God's grace can make a big difference in your world. In fact, God's grace can transform any marriage, any relationship, be it a work relationship or be it a friendship or be it a school relationship. It can transform any relationship, even if people sometimes do irritate each other in those relationships. What's the secret? Well, we talked about it this morning. The secret is a humble, submissive spirit. You know, when you demand your own way, when you insist on your own rights in the relationships, there's going to be friction because the other person doesn't want to give up, doesn't want to give what you want. But when you submit to each other, when you honor each other, when you value each other, then God's grace intervenes in a very powerful way. This morning, we saw how that grace works when a wife submits to her husband. Tonight, we see how God's grace works when a husband submits to his wife. Let's go back and look at this one very powerful verse and I want you to pick out the seven key words with me tonight. In fact, I'll give you a hint as we go along. Verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together with the grace of life, grace, that your prayers may not be hindered. Number seven. Let's talk about those seven points from verse number seven. Literally, what is the text saying to us? Husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives according to knowledge. In the same way, likewise. All the things that Peter has said to the wives, verses 1 through 6, he says, ditto. Just repeat, you know, go back and read 1 through 6 and apply it to yourself, husbands. 
Live with your wives according to knowledge. In other words, God commands men to live with their wives in the same way that he asks their wives to live with them in the previous six verses. There, what did he say? Well, there he told the wives to be submissive to their husbands. And so win them, we talked about that this morning, woo them, we talked about that this morning, with what? A irresistible inner beauty. It's the conduct. It's the example. Well, men, if we're to live with your wife in the same way, that means you too must submit. Whoa here, Michael. Whoa here. Stop right there. Got a bone to pick with you, Michael. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, you submit to me. I'm the boss. You submit. I'm the boss. Is a Christian man a boss? Is a Christian man a tyrant? Is a Christian man a dictator? The answer is no. He's a leader. Why? Go on in Ephesians 5 and you see where men are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Can you picture Jesus being a dictator, being a boss, being a tyrant? No. In fact, go back to Ephesians 5 as we mentioned this morning. How does that passage begin? Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Like I said before, when the Bible talks about the husband-wife relationship, it's always in the context of mutual submission and mutual respect. Now, should the husband be the leader in the home? Well, yes, he should be the leader in the home. He should be the leader in the church. But he leads through love. That's the big difference there. He leads through love. You see, when each person, husband and wives, friends, schoolmates, fellow employees, when each person puts the other first in the relationship, then you have harmony. But when either one demand their own way, pursuing their own selfish ambition, then all you have is disorder in every vile practice. Third biggest problem I see in working with couples is, hey, my mommy and daddy spoiled me. I expect you to spoil me. That's the husband saying it. That's the wife saying it. Guess what? That won't work at all. Guys, Let's just be real frank. If you want God's grace to permeate your home, if you want God's grace to transform your relationship with your wife, with your friends, with your family, then learn to put your wife, learn to put those other people before yourself in the relationship. Make her needs, not yours, the priority in your day. Put her interests above your own in your daily pursuits. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this will truly be 
Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. That's real joy. That's what Peter is talking about right here. Now, there's a difference. I understand. There's a difference between dating and marriage. Go back to when you were dating your spouse. Guys, remember how much effort you put into the date. Remember, you know, you found out that, well, you know, hey, I, don't really, I really don't like Italian food, but she loves Italian food, so guess what you do? You go eat Italian. And the movies, you know, you want to go see the, the latest superhero movie, but she really is into uh, chick flicks. So what do you do? You go see a chick flick. You know, what are you doing? You're putting her needs, her wishes above your needs. But what happens when we say, I do? All that ends. <laughs> All that stops, doesn't it, you know? I want to do it way I want to do the way I want to do it. Who said that you have to stop dating your spouse? I still date Lisa. I still don't I, I, I take you out on dates. You know, I plan it. She gets excited, you know. To her, that's romantic. I keep the romantic fires going. You see, dating doesn't have to stop when we say, I do. In essence, here in verse 7, Peter is saying, stop insisting on your own rights and strive to be what the other wants and needs, especially regarding spiritual needs. And guys, this is a big one. Because... While we all will be judged individually, that's true. Husbands, dads, you are responsible for the spiritual health of your family. The Lord is looking at you and saying, hey, you're the leader in your home. Hey, make sure that home is a home for me. You are responsible for the spiritual health of that family. As humans, though, you know, what happens? We're selfish. You know, it starts back when we were just babies. You know, a baby is very selfish. You know, a baby wants what he wants. You know, I want to be fed right now. I won't wait. Well, that selfish attitude can be reborn once we get married. And now we think that, hey, that spouse is going to be that uh, instant gratifier in whatever I want her to do. Hey, she's just going to do it. She's going to be my servant. One of my friends made a statement to me one time. And when he said it, I thought that is the worst statement. I've, one of the worst statements I've ever heard. He had had, they had had at that point, they'd had five children and just their sixth child had been born. And he said to me, you know what? I've never changed a diaper in my life. Really? You haven't changed a diaper in your life? He said, yeah, and I've never fed any of our kids. Really? You've missed out. You missed out in being the dad that you could have been.
selfish. He wanted her to take care of him and, hey, plus take care of the kids at the same time. That's the way it can happen. Every one of us, we are inclined to be selfish at heart. So in order for this to work, what do we need? We need God's heart. We need to think like God, act like God. You must depend what on Jesus who made the ultimate sacrifice for you on that cross. If you're going to submit to your mate, you must submit to Jesus first of all. Make him number one in your life. Make Jesus number one in your life. Then he will give you not only the power, but also the desire to do for your mate what he did for you. He will give you the power and the desire to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5, 25. Men, if you want to see God's grace transform your marriage, then put her interests and needs, especially spiritual needs, above your own. But in order to do that, you have to know what she wants and needs. That is, you have to understand her. Go back to verse 7. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Know her needs and fears. Appreciate her hopes and dreams. And yes, let me say it, comprehend her moods. Because those will come. You need to understand her. First Peter chapter 3, Likewise dwell with them with understanding. That is according to knowledge. According to knowledge. Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words says that word for understanding is primarily a seeking to know, an inquiry, an investigation. In other words, men, you have to study your wife. You have to go to school on her seeking a Ph.D. level of understanding. The problem is a lot of guys, a lot of us don't even have a grade school understanding of our wives. We are clueless and we don't know. When I work with couples, I have a, uh, a test battery that I apply. And I want to know how well they know each other. Because one of, the, one of the keys in making the marriage better is getting to know each other. So I'll go through a series of questions. I'll turn to the husband. I'll say, what was your wife's favorite doll when she was a little girl? What was that doll's name? Uh, what was your wife's number one goal to be when she was a little girl? If, you, if your wife could go to her favorite restaurant right now, what restaurant would that be? Questions like that. I asked both the husbands and wives. The average score for wives is 72%. The average score for men... 31%. A little difference there. Guys, we need to know our wives. We need to know what makes them tick. 
We need to understand them as Peter says right here. Husbands, your priority list should be this. God is first. Your wife is second. Children is third. And sports is a distant fourth, okay? Way down the list. Sports and hobbies is a distant fourth. Make sure your wife knows she is important to you. Well, how do you do that? You do that by investing time in your wife. But more than that, it means treat her gently. Go back to verse 7. It says, as the weaker vessel. Now, that doesn't mean she's a weaker person. Now, it's true that uh, maybe physically she is weaker than you. But women, uh, mentally, morally, spiritually, many women are stronger than men. As I talk about mentally, morally, spiritually. So when the Bible says dwell with her as a weaker vessel, I want you to picture a delicate, fragile vase. In fact, there's a particular vase I want to call your attention to. If you've ever watched any of my Bible videos Monday through Friday, right over my shoulder, there's a vase sitting on the shelf. That vase was given to Lisa by her great aunt. It's very important to her. And since it's important to her, it's important to me. I have put that in the pictures because, you know, that's something nice. And I'm very careful with it. You know, I make sure that no one touches it. I make sure that grandkids don't touch it. You know, when they're over, I protect that vase because it needs protection. It's important. But we have other things in the house, other cheaper vases that, hey, if the grandkids come over, hey, you know, if, if they break something, they break something. I'm not going to worry about it. Guys, we have to treat our wives as important, as important to us. You know, uh, on the basketball court, you have a lot of trash talking. You know, hey, you can't hit a basket. You know, hey, you dribble like a girl. Hey, you know, guys will do a lot of that on basketball court. But we don't do that with our wives. We don't trash talk. We don't put them down. What do we do? We build them up. We make them feel important. Because why? Because they are important. If you want God's grace to transform your marriage, then with God's help, submit to your wife, understand her, and value her. Did you notice where it said giving honor? What does that mean, giving honor? That's value. Putting value on your wife. If we were to take that vase that I've described to you and go to a pawn shop, we might get what? Maybe a couple bucks out of it? Maybe. But that vase is worth a lot more than a couple of bucks to us because of who gave it to Lisa. We value that vase. 
We have to value our wives, giving honor to our wives. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Here in verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3, we're using the same terminology here as the fact is it used in Ephesians 3 verse 6. That means women are valuable to God. God loves His daughters as much as He loves His sons. One is not more privileged or valued than the other. That's the way it is between a man and a woman. God loves his daughters as much as he loves his sons. They are equal heirs of God's grace. Go back to verse 7. God values women as much as he does men. And he's asking us men to value our wives the same as he does. In the South Pacific, many years ago, there was a custom of a man, each man, when he would get ready to, uh, uh, you know, to get married, he would give the father of the bride a cow in payment for his daughter. Now, if, a, if the woman was just average, it'd be one cow. Maybe if she was pretty, maybe two cows. And maybe if she was pretty and a good worker, maybe three or perhaps four cows. This one dad was approached by a young man named Johnny. Johnny had worked hard all his life and Johnny had accumulated quite a bit. And he went up to this dad of this one woman. He said, I want to uh, pay the bridal price. I'd like to marry your daughter. The man, realizing that his daughter wasn't that, uh, wasn't that pretty, he was all ready to accept one or two cows. Johnny paid eight cows for her. Well, that's stupid. You overpaid. Johnny, why did you do it? He said, I did it because I wanted an eight-cow wife. And how could I expect my wife to feel like she was an eight-cow wife if I didn't pay for it? She felt honored. And on that island, she was respected because her husband had paid so much for her. Hey, guys, does your wife know that you value her more than any other woman? How did you communicate that to her this last week? Did she feel valued? Did she feel that from you? Guys, if you truly want a beautiful wife, then grant her value. Assign her honor every day and see what happens. Do you want God's grace to transform your marriage? Then submit to your wife, understand her, and value her. Do these things. Why? So you can keep talking to God. Look at verse 7 again. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. We've talked about that already. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together. Both men and women are valuable to God. 
being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter, what does that mean? If you don't treat your wife with understanding, with value and respect, then it's probably going to impact your prayer life and your spiritual life. And you're not going to be the leader in your home the leader that God wants you to be. You will fail as a leader. If you want God's grace to transform your marriage, then submit to your wife, understand her, and value her so that you can keep talking to God. Because you're going to need all the help you can get. Because God has put on your back a big responsibility to lead your family to Him. He's dependent on you. Your family is your first five. How are you doing with that? I want to close out with this true story. Hannah Peterson. Hannah has spent so much time planning for her big wedding day. And a wedding day is very special to a woman. And then, less than a month before the wedding, she was involved in a car accident that was going to leave her in a wheelchair for probably at least a year. She didn't want to put off the wedding. You know, how could, you know, she didn't want to do that. At the same time, how could she get married in a wheelchair? Her groom, Stuart, knew how important this wedding was. So what did he do for her? He said, honey, you're not going to have that wheelchair at the wedding. I know you don't want that. You're going to have me. So he carried her into the church building, held her throughout the ceremony, and they said, I do, clutching and holding each other. He gave her what she needed. And that was her wedding day. And the pictures, the pictures were the best you can imagine because all through the wedding, it was just the two of them really molded as one as he held her in his arms. You know, that's the way Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church like that, that he would do whatever. Stuart was asked, was that tough to do that? I mean, holding her and, you know, I mean, didn't you get tired? He said, you, you better believe it. I got tired. My arms were aching. But I kept on saying, I'm not going to drop her. I'm not going to drop her. And he held her through the whole wedding. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves you. Are you a Christian? You know how I end every sermon. Nothing new. God's plan of salvation. As a Christian, you need to seek forgiveness. We had two that responded this morning. The church stands ready to pray with you and for you. If you have any need to respond, we're ready for you. And we want you to respond. Please come as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Okay.